0: Today I get to talk to Bobby C. Martin Jr. of Original Champions of Design. He's a founding partner at the design firm in New York City who famously redesigned the NBA logo, the WNBA logo, the Ad Age logo, uh, which uh, I love the redesign of that, and a lot of New York Times uh, thingies that I've seen around. Uh, Their website is originalchampionsofdesign.com and really good stuff great conversation with him really interesting to talk to somebody who's in a different field than than i am he's a designer i'm an ad guy so here it is my conversation with bobby c martin jr so bobby martin hi hello nice to meet you Are, are we ready matt okay good all right uh nice to meet you thank you for coming in absolutely happy to be here um so we always like to start with uh, how you got started and where you grew up. So so where did Bobby Martin grew up?
1: Well, I'm a country boy from Virginia. I grew up in Hampton Roads, Virginia. So it's one of those cities that um, has a lot of different cities that are all in one place. So mm-hmm. they call it Hampton Roads Tidewater. But uh, where I'm from is the Yorktown area. Uh-huh. And uh, I grew up there. I uh, went to Tab High School, which was a really great place right outside of like the the main kind of urban area. So I got to um It's called b- Tab? Tab. Yeah. Okay. That's that's like really you know, really detailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, it's just a little place and I I grew up there. That's where my my uh mom was from and everything. So What, what uh, did they do? What did your parents do when you were growing up? So my parents are Both educators. And so I I really come from a family of of educators. My dad was a professor at Hampton University, which Mm -hmm. was um, also in that area. Historically Black University yep. in uh, in Hampton. Yep. So uh, I basically grew up on that campus. I uh, went to church there. I would go to to see him there. I remember um, like crawling under his desk when I was really uh, a kid. I remember uh, going there when I was when I was in college. I went to Virginia Commonwealth, but I would always come back to Hampton and and hang out there with my yep. friends because a lot of people did go there. Uh, did it was he, a little close, too close to home for me, so right. I, yeah, I, I didn't actually go there but he you know he was a coach he he coached the baseball team when they had a baseball team uh-huh. and then he ended up teaching uh, health and physical education so what's funny about it is a lot of my friends now have had him yeah. as a teacher so i get a lot of those stories <laughs> and my mom is a, a principal so she was a principal in elementary school oh wow and so as long as i can remember she was uh in the the school district in, in the area where i am york county yeah so uh that's how I had it growing up. I had people that were constantly telling me to study, constantly really helping me to stay really in front of my teachers right. and my dad would always say, "Go and talk to your teachers after class," or he would always encourage me to to do more than I was asked to do ah. and that's something that I still t- uh, think about today and and we actually use that um, kind of uh, idea in a lot of what we do nowadays, yeah. Uh, the idea of go further, push harder,
0: uh, try more. I, I was Absolutely. listening to one of your uh, your speeches. Uh, I think you were. It was at VCU. I think you're given the the, uh, spe- the, the the speech or the commencement the, the commencement speech. speech. The VCU uh, uh, School of the Arts. Also. And yeah, you said that in there too. That your dad told you. You know, you're always going to have to try a little bit harder uh, and
1: go a little further. Uh, and that you took that to heart definitely yeah. i mean it's really become uh, part of what makes us who we are and, and where i am today because uh doing just enough just isn't enough yeah. and it's it's not enough for anybody but especially for you know a young black kid growing up in the south yeah. um always striving to do more and be better <clears throat> was something that was really important and i think it's helped me tremendously in in my college career and my post college career so um, it's something that i really Really Did you have it. to
0: figure it out for yourself though? Was there was there part of you that was like, Dad, you don't understand. It's not like it was when you were a kid or like was there was there part of you that kind of fought like a kid fought back against your dad and said like I know Well, I,
1: I never said that, but right. I probably acted it out more than anything. I definitely yeah. was a little bit of a rebellious kid, yeah. um especially in my teens and early um college years. Uh-huh. And uh and it was just figuring things out. So right. I was I was trying out things. But the thing is, is even though I, I was hanging with friends or I would kind of do what I felt like doing oftentimes, I mean, my parents did definitely set up a, a structure that I uh, believed in and lived within. So I, I would kind of push push those boundaries, yeah. but I knew where the boundaries were. Right. And so I always kept my wits about me and uh, most of what I was doing. And, uh, and so I kind of have this this voice on my shoulder that's that's watching over me and talking to me and making sure that i uh <laughs> i can push the lines i can i can i can really try to do uh as much as i can to to rebel but i, I they keep me on track yeah yeah
0: and were you always drawing and 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 designing or, or did, did when did you know like this could be a career did were your parents like encouraging that or were they like well that's great for your you know your side projects but it's like- a really
1: funny story actually because I like when you're in middle school you're not really thinking about what's next so much mm-hmm. yet and I guess the the thing that you might be thinking about when you're in middle school you're thinking about the SATs and what mm-hmm. do I need to do and prepare for that but then when I got in high school I started to take an art class and that was my first time taking an art class so I took art Classes all throughout high school. The the school offered art at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they still do, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it because that's where I took something that I was doing in my free time, which was mm-hmm. I would draw. I would I would I would draw different things for maybe a, a girl that I had a crush on, or I would uh-huh. you know we I remember having competitions with other classmates on who could draw the coolest car. We just make things up out of out of our heads. And, yeah, you know, have cars with you know spikes on the tires and sure. things like that. Right. So when I got in when I when I got into high school and I took an art class, I could actually do that for a class and I loved it. Yeah. And that teacher was was really great at um teaching us the fundamentals. Mm. And what's funny about it, I didn't realize it then, but uh we we learned from a textbook called Visual Literacy. Mm. And that visual literacy is actually a book that was written by Richard Wilde, who is the Uh, head of the design department at the School of Visual Arts, which is right across the street from where we are today. Yeah. So those were things that I didn't realize then, but I was learning how to express myself visually, how to uh, communicate ideas visually then, back in high school. right? And I didn't know where that would lead, but I knew that I really loved it. I was doing much better, or I was enjoying that much more than I was, let's say, my math class or even science classes and things like that. So when it was time for me to think about going to college, which was definitely something that I had always knew yeah. known that I was going to do, I started looking at schools that had art departments and art departments that were good, art departments that would accept someone like me. And so uh, I would go to these fairs and I met someone from Virginia Commonwealth and mm-hmm. I learned more about their art department, which was incredibly, uh, they were doing really well. Mm-hmm. They were large. They had a uh, dean of the School of Arts, who was African American, mm. and this was in the early '90s. So there was a lot there that I was really interested in, and mm. so I decided to go to VCU to pursue that interest in art further. And well, I didn't know what what I was doing at the time. I just knew that I liked to draw, something to do with exactly with art, maybe illustrator, maybe painter. You don't know exactly. So I know that in high school they had they they got a couple of Macs yeah. in the library. Yeah. And so we started taking something called computer art yeah. uh classes. And that was where I could take something I had always been interested in, which was computers and video games yeah. and just technology, and combine that with something that I loved, which was art and drawing and just making things. Right. And and so that was really this big light bulb that went off in my head. When I got to VCU, we took a foundation class where we're throwing a lot of different things, graphic design, and illustration were both things that stood out to me at that time. So right. then I went in that direction. I studied in both uh, illustration and graphic design. Do you still do the illustration? Do you still sometimes do the odd? Uh... Not so much. I uh, oftentimes I'll write in my sketchbook. I need to draw more. Yeah. And running a company kind of limits some of that. <laughs> yeah. But but I do believe that it's one of the reasons why now I make logos and mm-hmm. I build out systems that have iconography. And yeah. you know, I use kind of Paula Scher's kind of point of view where you, you paint with type. And so I uh, I really kind of do what I was doing in illustration with the design work that I'm doing. Yeah. Talk more about the Paula Scher's paint with type. What is that? What is that Well, whole... she, she tells a story about her growing up and what was influential to her was one of her college professors that told her that she could use typography and typefaces and the, you know, putting texts and, and letters and words together and 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 show that in a really expressive way to evoke a certain mood or story or narrative. And she was one of my professors in graduate school. So I went to grad school here at the School of Visual Arts uh-huh. in New York. And she was one of my professors oh, who wow. taught me uh identity design. Yeah. That was the class. And and so in learning and having that influence where I could take some of what I was pretty good at, which is illustration, combine that with something that I was really interested in, which was type, typefaces, mm. uh, making the the ability to uh, kind of really make messaging and words move and dance and mm-hmm. tell a story. I could really combine those different things. And yeah. uh, and that's, that's something that I just always really, uh, I think I really love to do. So I try to still do that a lot yeah. today.
0: What did you, when did you first, uh, what was your first? sort of job or gig or or anything coming out of college I'm sure a lot of us we start off by doing the pizza place down the street or our dad's friends you know uh, business cards <laughs> right. or what did you did you do any of that while you were in school trying to sort of get some Well
1: I was a, my 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 job in high school and college was a lifeguard so I would I was a lifeguard at the pool at my uh, hometown. And uh-huh. then when I got to college in Richmond, I was a lifeguard at the YMCA. And so that's the job that I had to really uh, give me a little bit of pocket money while I was in school. Right. But all the while I was freelancing or drawing or do different doing different things. Most of the time it was for you know, pennies. I mean, right. especially yeah. when I think about what it should have been for. <laughs> um I was I was getting paid a little bit of nothing to do these little odd jobs from friends or friends of a friend. Yeah. But going back to my my father his um kind of understanding of of what I needed to to do to be successful, he basically told me where I was going to intern. Uh so he <laughs> he knew someone at uh the local newspaper, the Daily Press, and he uh, was able to uh, get me an interview for an internship one summer, and I went in and nailed it. And then, so I did illustration, editorial illustration for the newspaper. Oh, wow! So this was really before I was truly introduced to graphic design. I was doing illustrations for these newspapers, uh, for this newspaper in these different sections and articles. Yeah. And some was actually painting. Doing I, when I was an illustrator in in college, I was learning to use oils and acrylics and different things to be able to uh kind of visualize whatever it was. Yeah. But then they had a little bit of that graphic design component because a lot of what the art department did at newspapers then was make maps. And so I if there was a story we had to show where you know this accident took place or right. where the you know where the the airport was or whatever it needed to be. So yeah. I was drawing maps and or redesigning maps. Oh wow. Uh using what was it Macromedia Freehand or something like uh-huh. that? <laughs> One of those programs <laughs> exactly. that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's long gone. Yeah. So, uh that was my very first internship was at a newspaper.
0: And what was that like when you say you nailed the interview? Just uh like w- were you nervous before or were you were you always good at interviewing? How
1: did you nail the interview? I'd probably I've always been a bit of a class clown uh-huh. uh, or a, a smart ass. Yeah. <laughs> so I I probably took some of what that allowed me to do and then focused a little bit into an interview, which I, I was probably really eager and yeah. uh, probably trying to charm in a, yeah. in a lot of ways. And then also trying to show that I had a a serious side, which came down to the work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I can't remember the name right now, but I think it was the executive editor, the the editor of the newspaper. Mm -hmm. I met him and I believe his wife had been a substitute teacher at my high school one time. Oh, okay. And he was like... Oh, she remembers you. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> well, I don't know. Not I don't know if she remembers me yeah. for the good things. Uh, because I said I was a bit of a class clown. Yeah. But, you know, at that point I was in college and I had straightened up a little bit. And yeah. I, I had more of an idea of where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so I think the the kind of rebelliousness came out a lot more when I was in high school and then when I was in college I started to focus a little bit and they really liked the I guess the more focused side. Yes. So uh so I I remember getting that job and uh and then from there I had an internship almost every year after that. Great. So I remember graduating from college and I had I had interned at Three or four different places. So a newspaper. Where else? The first was a newspaper. My first truly graphic design internship was at a corporate 500 company, the only one headquartered in Norfolk, Virginia, and it was called uh, Norfolk Southern. I think okay. they more recently moved down to Atlanta, but okay. they were a, a they had this massive skyscraper of a building with these um, kind of Emerald City like green reflective glass window. So the uh-huh. whole building was green, just standing in the, the downtown Norfolk. And that was a corporate design office. I mean this was the the design office for the whole Norfolk Southern Transportation yeah. Company. So there they had in housed it all. They, they it were, was all in house, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so they had this relationship with Virginia Commonwealth. And so I I interned there for three semesters actually and uh what was great about it is it was i mean it was a true working environment, yeah, and you know I had to take off this was in the nineties, so you know I was used to wearing <laughs> baggy clothes, and all I did was yeah. live and breathe hip hop, yeah, and so it was like <laughs> Tupac and biggie, I guess back then, yeah, so uh, so I had to straighten up and go to this corporate job, which you had to wear a tie every day, oh my God, I mean what's the last job you know where somebody had to literally wear a tie every day, yeah. But I did that and <laughs> um, and I did that for I mean literally th- three full semesters uh, off and on I think I alternated semesters but I learned all of the ins and outs of uh, of what it's like to work at a within a brand yeah and how you have to uh, work with different internal clients how you that's where I learned to work with printers that's where I learned to um, uh, just, just all of that, those, those different processes that go into making a, a company work, and, yeah. and and all of the the internal publications and that type of thing.
0: Yeah, sounds like you had a good boss that would sort of help let you do a lot of stuff and learn a lot. Well, of he
1: he was patient. He was really patient. I remember Frank Wright was his name. He's since retired, but uh, he was really patient uh, with me and and with other people that were doing this co-op internship mm-hmm. he uh, would take time to really teach us stuff that we had no idea yeah so it's interesting now looking back on things where we, we we expect interns to come in and hit the ground running yeah but in reality we need to take a step back and do some teaching and some coaching right uh, because we can't assume that they've sent a file to print or know how to collect uh, fonts or, you know, even know some of the programs because that's a lot of ways uh, where they're learning to do all of that stuff. Yeah. And that's what I I did there.
0: I find that uh, nowadays, since people are coming right out of school into and uh, the jobs that we have are so, it's so fast and everything's moving so quickly, it's so hard to have those mentoring moments. How do you... How do you stay when you have a company now and mm-hmm. you have you have people working for you? You probably have interns come in. What's the what's the difference between now and, and when you were interning? You well, like? it's
1: tough. It's one of those things I have to constantly remind myself of is that the, the intern is an intern, so they should be contributing, but they also are learning a lot on the job. Yeah. So I'm not always successful at it, but I need to be patient, I need to slow down a little bit and really teach why we're doing something in the way that we do it or yeah. why something should look the way it does. Yeah. And the, the thing that interns learn a lot now with our company, when they're working with us is is trial and error. Yeah. And so they are working on projects where in some cases it's okay to fuck up.
0: Yeah.
1: And they, they're going to, that's where they're going to learn. And that's mm-hmm. really a teaching moment for us. Yeah. So we, give them a certain amount of, of, of room to be able to try things and mess those things up. And yeah. then we help them get back on track. Yeah. And if I can't do it directly, other members of the team are, are there. Right. And what's so great about the team in, in, at my company right now is that they, they often can take a little bit more of that time to sit down and, and really walk through uh, the ins and outs of, uh, of, of doing different types of work. within this world. Yeah. And
0: uh, it strikes me that 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 comes back to something you said in in the speech as well, is is to make is a risk. And, you know, there's always going to be those people who say, even your MBA, uh, we'll get to uh, what you did with the MBA, but even they said, uh, I don't like it. And, you know, it's weird. And so getting past that, how do you get past that? Sort of, oh, my God, is this weird? And what I'm going to show them is this isn't what Bobby asked for. Or this right. isn't what they, but I think it's right. There's something to it. Mm-hmm. How do you get that courage?
1: Well, for for me and, and for, for us at uh, my company, the Original Champions of Design, what we really believe in is that we, we're not going to do work where we're just applying our own personality and sensibilities and personal point of view. To, mm. to the work. We want that work to really be driven by the core of who that company or person or whatever entity it is mm. uh, to really drive the work. And if we can find, if we get down to the soul of it, mm. then it's really figuring out a way to 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 free it and to, to express it. People often understand that. They'll feel that. They'll see that. Uh, however, we there, there's sometimes a, a safe route you can take. Mm. And then there's a little bit more provocative route you can take. And that provocative route might be more of the long game. Mm. And it's hard often to see what you need to be seen for the, the the long-term future. Mm. So that might be where we will get pushback or, uh, you know, we want to be more provocative or think somebody can be a little bit bolder or whatever it needs to be. And so uh, – and a lot of it also could be to keep the integrity of an idea or to keep the integrity of what we've what we've located, what we found, mm. uh, that soulfulness. And uh, but I also have another motto, which is we we push, push and push. And so the real motto uh, that, that we have and I've, I've talked about in different places is to push, push, push and over deliver. And so over delivering goes back to what I was speaking to earlier, which is something that came from. Uh, my father telling me to do more than we're asked, and then push, push, and push is this relentlessness that I think creative people uh, have to have in order to make great work. Mm. And so, w- with the combination of those two things, for the most part, you're going to be pretty successful, and whoever you're working with is going to be glad that they were pushed. Right. Um, but you, but you also have to be respectful, respectful, and you have to understand that sometimes. If they don't want to be pushed, you have to realize is when you, okay, yeah. put, you know, hold off. Yeah, um, but but that's part of what we're 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 constantly balancing. Yeah.
0: So you're talking about the the client wanting to be pushed, and sometimes yes. they just you get to the point where it's like, okay, this they're not they're not buying it, they're not getting it. They, right. It's a final no. We're not going to yeah. go
1: down this route. What I've learned also, though, is with the team, we can we can pretty much make anything look good. Right. Um to make something memorable or have the greatest impact yeah. is tougher. And yeah. so we're always pushing to have something be memorable, distinctive, have the greatest impact. Um but if if they're not quite ready for it, that might be okay. But mm. let's make what they are ready for as good as possible. Yeah. Uh, so we really believe in just trying to be uh gonna reach a, a certain level of excellence. And yeah. we think there can be excellence found in a lot of those different scenarios. But yeah. we are gonna push you to to do the most possible right what when
0: uh so you're one of the first i think you're the first like pure designer that we've had on the show uh, uh-huh. we we started with uh with my friends basically <laughs> ad people um in the sort of like creative ad ad agency sort of side of things what do you see as the difference between because i remember uh, i went to fashion institute of technology we had a advertising design course but you had to go through two years where you were just you know you're what you uh, the basics of graphic design and design in general, um, and then we kind of split off and half of us went and became graphic designers, and the other half went and became ad people you know um, what is the difference and wh- why is
1: there that split it's a really good question, and i'm not sure I can totally answer it the I have worked within an advertising agency I spent two years working at Ogilvy and Mather mm. but I was working within a a brand group within Ogilvy, made in within Ogilvy, called the Brand Integration Group at the time, mm-hmm. and I haven't gone to ad school, and I don't I don't know advertising so much uh, to to really define what it is or if it needs to be defined. But I find that um, a lot of times when we're working with um, companies that have advertising or or have a, a separate agency it can be a, a little bit frustrating because mm. i find that in brand development and speaking your your language or to your audience and that type of thing that they can and probably should be more integrated mm. and i find that some of the best advertising that I see or that I remember mm. has really been driven by a, a seamlessness between advertising and design. Mm. Uh, it looks beautiful. There's a great idea. It's something that lasts longer than just that moment. Mm. And so I I find that advertising oftentimes can be seen as a, a campaign, something that's here today and gone tomorrow, and mm. it's following trends. Um, I find that um, the the ads that stand out to me and the uh, advertising that I, I find to be most successful are things that are true to the brand and are speaking a language that is um, appropriate for who they are. Mm. And I I don't think that that's that different than what we are doing with design, with brand development, with brand identity systems. Mm. Uh, so I I believe that they should be more integrated. When I was at Ogilvy and Mather, that was one of the reasons why the brand integration group was part of Ogilvy. Why Um, it it was was... called the brand integration group and not the design group. Exactly. And so we we were able to work with art directors and we had our design directors and so forth. And and we were sitting at the same table. And actually, if we weren't sitting at the same table, then it was often a a problem. It was a, a bit of a chasm. Yeah and uh, but i i feel like the work that we were doing then if you could if you advertise something whether it's a tv spot or if it's a you know outdoor like print billboard mm. you get the 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 if the work if you go to a a physical space if it's communicating the same values the same feeling the same emotional connection then that's what makes it really special and if we were working on like the retail environment or if we were working on uh, you know, books or whatever it may have been, yeah. having that, that seamless connection is where I think they really sing. So I, I still believe that having that, that symbiotic relationship between advertising and design is really important. Yeah. Um, we
0: you started at, uh, you worked at Yahoo internet life. Yes. That was the first thing
1: on your, on your LinkedIn profile. That's where it says you, you <laughs> I started. actually worked one place before that. Okay. Um, but neither one of them exists anymore because yes. it was this thing called a magazine, yeah. and uh, and <laughs> and so they used to be printed and they used to go out yes. in, in circulation. Yes, and so I I went into magazines because when I was in college, I remember taking a I remember taking a class called Getting It Printed, mm. and it scared the hell out of me. Yeah, because there were all these details about the printing process that right. just seemed overwhelming. So I said, "Ruby well, cutting Ruby lith." Oh my <laughs> god! I, I had a whole class in that. <laughs> exactly. Now they're like, "Ruby lith." What, what is that? What's Ruby lith? So, uh, specking paper, specking ink, going on press, and so this was before PDFs, obviously. So, yeah. um, so when I went into my first job, uh, there was this opportunity at what was called a lad mag. So it was called Gear Magazine. Gear Magazine, yeah. And uh, they had incredible photographs. Uh, oftentimes on the cover, there was a scantily clad woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a 22 year old coming out of college, that was that was um, that was part of the fun. Yeah. And I started working there. And was that in New York? It was in New York. So you had to move to New York. So they moved me to New York from Virginia. And what was that like? Oh, well, um, it was exciting. Yeah. It was so exciting. And I remember. And that was twenty years just ago. You're surrounded now. by great design, and, and well, uh, I wasn't sure at the time. Yeah. I mean, New York was so overwhelming. It's not like you walk down a street and everything's beautifully designed, right? I mean, you can see an ad on the subway that's Dr. Zizemore and it's this <laughs> weird, funky-looking thing. Or you see something walking down the street, and there's a you know wild posting. They're not all beautifully designed, right? But what I did learn after getting here is how to. Weed out the 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 clutter from the things that really s- stood out. Yeah. Uh, but working at Gear Magazine was totally exciting. Uh, my dad and I threw everything into a U-Haul and and drove up from Virginia one one summer. Wow. And I worked at this magazine. My very first day, we put in eleven hours. Two weeks later, we were closing the magazine. It was my first overnighter. We worked. Uh came in probably. Closing like, meaning the this this issue of this the magazine was, had, to was, go out. had to go out. It's... So I came in probably like I don't know, nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning and I left probably uh you know <laughs> Nine o'clock, hours ten o'clock, exactly. Like eleven p.m. goes by, yeah. two two a.m. goes by. Then the sun comes back up. We're yeah. still there. Yeah. People that had left the office were starting to come back. Yeah, and they they brought <laughs> us. They said, "Oh my God, you're still here. Let me let me buy you breakfast." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then we worked probably until eleven o'clock that night before we went home. Wow. And uh I had no idea because it wasn't like that at Norfolk Southern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I had really good people within that magazine that were, kind of, took me under their wing. There was the art director who hired me, which was this um, this brother from from England, this this Londoner um, that uh, happened to be of African descent, and he was the art director. Yeah. And so we, we what was just, his name? Orville Clark. Orville Clark. He's still in New York, and he he and I really gelled, and he also. Taught me a lot, and he would teach me a lot, like in the way that you sit next to somebody and you're showing them the ins and outs, like I talked about with an internship. Mm. But I knew a lot of, I knew a lot of like how to use the programs by then because of the internships that I had had. Mm. But what I didn't know is you kind know, of that work ethic, yeah. and so he was just relentless. He would he would work. He would go and talk with the editors. He would do back and forth hop on a photo shoot. And we were, we were doing so much because it was a two-person design team. Right, And, uh, and so then you were his right hand. You were exactly. It. You were it. it was, and yeah. it was great because I was so happy to be there. And all of this was just so exciting to me, this country kid from Virginia now yeah. in New York City. Uh, we were over in Chelsea, right across from the Chelsea Market. Uh-huh. So I did that for a year or a little more than a year. But those hours never changed. <laughs> and and weekends and everything. Yeah. So after a while you have to say, okay, I'm I'm I've gotten as much as I can from this. Right. So then I moved on and eventually started at Yahoo Internet Life magazine, uh-huh. which was a magazine that spoke about what you could find on the internet. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> so um so they would, you know, have articles about blogs and Yeah. Yeah, different links that you could go to, and they had <laughs> if just you gone... type them into your <laughs> exactly. Computer, yeah. But I was there during nine eleven. Wow! And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Going into the office, and by the time I arrived from the subway to the office, I mean everybody was standing in front of the screens yeah. saying, "Holy moly, what's going on?" Uh, so, but I learned a lot at, at Yahoo. Also, great team there, and they they were a much more well-oiled machine which i had never really with you know after coming from gear magazine it yeah. was it was a different experience uh but then that's also when i was flirting with the idea of going to graduate school so i had applied and then i got into uh, SVA MFA design. Why did you feel like you needed to do that? To do that? Because it, f- it felt like you were doing great. Like yeah. you're at you're
0: at Internet Life Magazine. How mm-hmm. could it get better? <laughs> it w- it w- no, but you had a job, and you mm-hmm. were. And so many people would just be like, "I have a job. Why would I need yeah. to go to school to get better?"
1: It's a really good point, also because Yahoo pretty much doubled the salary that I had at Gear. Um, right. But it also tells you how low my salary was at Gear, <laughs> and. So I was working there and it was it was great. But as I mentioned, both my parents are educators. Yeah. My aunt was uh, also a professor uh and and uh my both, your both aunts and uncles. So it was it was there. And so what my dad and my, both my dad and my mom would tell me is um do as much as you can to learn as much as possible about the thing that you Love about the mm. thing that you do, yeah. and so I knew even when I moved to New York that I would eventually go to grad school. Yeah. But I wanted to work a little bit first so I could see what it was like out there. Yeah. So then I took all of those learnings to to here to um the the School of Visual Arts yeah. design program, which had just opened. They had just started. They were maybe the third year when I began. Okay. Now they're celebrating their twentieth. Yeah. Were there other schools that you were choosing from at the
0: time? Because there there's so there many were design schools here. In well, the Pratt
1: was, was another one. Yeah. And RISD. I think maybe those were the ones that I was okay. most interested in. But I settled on the School of Visual Arts one because the chair there, Stephen Heller, was somebody I had read yeah. a lot about. I had read some of the books that he had published because he's published, I think, about a – You know, a little over a million. Find the people
0: that you want to – like I I hear this with so many people. It's like find the people you want to work for, find the people you want to learn from. Absolutely. Not not the school or the – just the thing you want. Just find the humans.
1: I had a fantastic professor in college. I had several fantastic professors in college, but one was named Phil Meggs, And he literally wrote the history of graphic design. Mm. And when I told him I was moving to New York, I was asking for some advice. And he said, most important thing to do was work with people who are really good and learn from them. And I, that's something that I've always tried to do is, mm. is kind of get myself in the presence of great people mm. and hope that some of that rubs off on me. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> <Shh>. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went back to SVA. Stephen Heller was the. Co-chair of the program, Paula Scher taught there. Stefan Sagmeister taught there, uh-huh. and a whole bunch of badass people that I didn't even know yet were yeah. teaching there. And and that that osmosis learning uh, really rubbed off on me there. And I took that work ethic that I learned from Orville, and I took I took a lot of the the uh, kind of advice that I learned from my parents mm. uh, into grad school, and I put you know one hundred and ten percent into everything. Yeah. I loved it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you came out of there stronger and better. And at what point do you go? Hey, I'm gonna
1: I'm gonna redesign the NBA's
0: logo. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: not it's, it's not overnight. <laughs> when did that pop into your head. <laughs> well, I I did end up working for those are my professors from the program. So one was a gentleman named Brian Collins. Yeah, who, he was the head of that brand integration group. Yeah. so I worked there for two years, and I learned to. Not be intimidated by these big brands, uh, and he really taught me how to to talk and to sell uh, my work in a lot of ways. Uh, so he would, you know, if we did something crazy, there's also a way to be able to talk about that work in a way that in, uh, kind of um, inspires the client. So yeah. I learned a lot of that there.
0: And is that where you learned this this uh, idea and and from the original Champions Design website? says that the first thing you do is research everything and and you know watch the videos right. and, and
1: is that where you learn that, is that some of it that, yeah some of it yes uh, and and w- at my company I didn't start it by myself so also yeah. uh, my partner Jennifer Kynan brought her learnings to the table and and yeah. we met in graduate school so we had a lot SBA, of the, SBA, the same when you met her okay. yeah exactly we had a lot of the same. Um, you know, st- strategic thinking built into us from that program, mm. and we were able to apply it at the places that we went after after school. Yeah, she went to Pentagram, I went to Ogilvy, and what what we need to do first is we need to learn as much as possible about the client, about the project, or about whatever it is we're doing. Yeah, because I can't just make something up out of the blue. I actually need me personally. I need. Information to be able to inform the work that I'm doing, right, so right. that's what that research really does, yeah, and when do you start when you start the research that interests me is like
0: where where do you start like where do you start with the client brief or do you go to their website or do you do you get a book on the history of the company like where is it all those
1: things it's in a lot of ways it's all those things we're working directly with a client, mm. so there we are getting that one to one information mm. and, and input from them and we are we're, we're asking them a lot of questions during interviews and asking them to introduce us to the other other people to do interviews mm. uh, with because they know that company better than we do mm. while we're doing that we are I always ask uh, especially if it's a company that's been around for a while we want to see their archive mm. and so we want to find out. What the history of this brand looked like, that visual history. Mm. So, we try to go back as far as possible and see if trends were driving the company. We see if, if the bottom line was driving the, the, the way that they were presenting themselves, mm-hmm. if what was happening uh, contextually in the world is driving it. Mm. Um, so, we do that. And then we also do just the simple desk research where we go onto their website, we look at how they are, their sub brands and other parts of the, the company um, present themselves to the world. Mm -hmm. We are, we are looking at competitors to see how other people are doing it, what, what they are doing well, what they're doing poorly. Mm -hmm. And also we, we do that. So we want them to stand out. So what can we do differently? How can Mm -hmm. we deliberately differentiate a company? Mm -hmm. So that's, that really encompasses a lot of that research is doing all of those things simultaneously. As far as books to read, the, the books, at least the books. For for a company, sometimes a company will have a biography of the finder, the founder, or it might have some history on that brand. So we will pull some of those books and read through them. Mm. Uh, but but a lot of times that can be pretty time consuming. So we'll we'll we might read certain parts of the book, or we right. we ask some of those questions of people that we have right in front of us. Yeah. Um. And and so
0: so you learn from Brian Collins at at. Ogilvy. Where did you go from Ogilvy? What, what
1: was so I, I went from working at a place that worked with a lot of different businesses yeah. to a place that was one business, one brand that I could evolve um, myself. So I, at the time, Jazz at Lincoln Center, right. uh, headed by artistic director Went Marsalis, the the jazz musician. Yeah, they had just moved into tonight
0: show. the Tonight Show's went Mars. No, that's right? his brother. That oh, was his brother. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Branford It's exactly. sugar.
1: Yeah, and they had just moved into a new theater. They yeah. had uh, built a new theater. There's there are two new theaters and a jazz club in the Time Warner Center over by Central Park, Columbus yeah. Circle. And uh, and another professor from the program had developed the identity. So Paula Sheer had developed the identity for Jazz Lincoln Center, oh, wow. and they were looking for someone to work on the inside wow. to to build this. And just luck would have it, um, I had emailed her right at the at the right time, and she said, "Well, you know, they may be looking for someone." Yeah. and so I interviewed there and. Took all the learnings that I had at that point and applied them to this. Always one.
0: stay in touch with your professors and the people you you uh, you love and, yes. and trust because yep.
1: they're they're going to find you your next thing. that's <laughs> well, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> well, sometimes they can. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, and um, the you know, I, I saw that she was doing. She had done that work, and I went in there, and I uh, what was great there is then she could be a mentor. Uh, for me as someone who's now running my own design department. Mm-hmm. And so I could go and ask her questions. She would give me guidance and also dealing with the internal politics of a company. right? And she had done that when she was at CBS Records. So there oh, was a wow. lot of learnings that I was able to get from working that closely with a brand associate, uh, built by one of my mentors. Was there a head of design there before you? So no. you were the first... That was Head the first they were going to have to deal with. They had and... some internal designers, but this was a new position yeah. because they, they went from like a, a, a fairly small operating budget. I think it was less than $10 million or something like that to like this massive, you know, $50 million operating budget or so. Right. Like almost overnight because yeah. they went into this new theater. They had to convince people that are used to going to a jazz club and paying $20, $30 maybe yeah. and a drink yeah. and watch some jazz in this hole in the wall. to going to this pristine, clean theater space and pay $120 to see jazz. Yeah, and no drinks. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so what we had to do is we had to rethink how jazz was presented to the world. Wow. So we took a lot of what was developed for us in that identity, but then there were some things that we turned on their head for the advertising. So with the advertising – we needed to cut through the clutter. We knew that most people see jazz as being a little bit old and dusty. They they think of jazz visually, um, really linked light. to well, or or have a color wash over it. So yeah, linked yeah, to like yeah. blue note right. records, yes, right? Blue note records. And so, what we did, uh, we noticed in the history of jazz, a lot of things looked. They would have blues and blacks, reds and blacks, maybe yellows and blacks, which was those were our colors at Jazz Lincoln Center. Yeah. But what we uh, ended up doing, we we were working with a, a handful of people that that uh, really pushed us to, you know, to, to kind of do something a little different. So I had hired a, a, um, a writer who was able to help uh, craft some language. So we came up with this idea of when jazz is at its very best, it's killing. And uh, that really came out of us listening to jazz musicians when they, they say, oh, man, you're killing it over there, yeah. or, you know, yeah, I'm dressed to kill. And so we came up with this idea and then I uh, I printed everything in a fluorescent ink. So this fluorescent pink, which when you think about jazz, you normally think of blues and reds. Yeah. We wanted something completely cut through that clutter. So yeah. we went with bright pink or magentas and things like that. And it was it was shocking to the system. It was yeah. like jumping into a, a bath of ice water. And that really helped to establish this new entity out in the in the world because it stood out in magazines, it stood out in in uh, newspapers, and other places where the ads were placed. How did you
0: sell that to your? Uh, I'm sure there were some people on the board of directors who lived on the Upper East Side or somewhere <laughs> uh, fancy that were like, "Oh, that's not how we do things here." It,
1: how do you how do you sell something so provocative and different? Well, I had a the the. Person that I had to sell it into first was the marketing director, mm-hmm. and she was just this badass woman that was born in Texas. And she like, if she got an idea uh, that that she could run with, it was like, you know, get out of her way, she's coming. Yeah. And so she did a great job of partnering with me to to get that idea through okay. in the end. Um, and then one of the things I always believe in is you have to work with the top. Yeah. And so we were able to really sell Wynton Marsalis on that idea, right? Because it was so ingrained in the culture of jazz, yeah. And and so he was like, oh, you know, okay, man, I got it, you know. Yeah, all right, do your thing. <laughs> and so, so we just did it. And the the thing is, you're creating these materials over and over over the course of a season. Yeah. And so similar to I mentioned with, with interns where you we we put interns on a project where they can try things and make mistakes and and, and and keep going. Safe that's what we were able to do at Jazz Lincoln Center because we made so many different things. So we right. would try things and they would say, Oh you know what that didn't work so well. Let's let's tweak it here. Yeah. Oh let's oh next time let's try it this way. Yeah. And so over the course of a couple of years we were able to constantly evolve and and build it and make sure that we were addressing those that might be a little bit less comfortable yeah. but also uh make sure that we were we were reaching the audience and broadening the audience that we needed.
0: Yeah. And when did you decide okay uh, and I want to I'm I'm conscious of your time but I I want to talk about uh the original champions mm-hmm. of design like when did you decide I need to open my own place? What yeah. was the what was the thing?
1: So uh my partner in crime Jennifer Kynan and myself we had kept in touch all through after after graduate school and if if little projects came up or we needed help with different things or we just really needed a different perspective outside of what we were dealing with day to day we could trust each other's point of view and trust that the feedback even if it might be brutal could be was was good and and constructive mm. and so we loved working together and so we knew that we wanted to start a company so we in 2010, we had been uh, working at our different places, and we stumbled on a company uh, or stumbled on a project because there was somebody that had, I had worked with who had become the chief marketing officer at uh, the Girl Scouts of the USA. Mm-hmm. And she was interested in doing building a system for the Girl Scouts. <clears throat> so she came to us and we said sure we'll, you know we'll work with you we'll work as closely as you need to we just want to make sure this is done appropriately we've done well mm-hmm. and she really trusted that as well and we we just hit the ground running from there so with an, a project like the Girl Scouts of the USA rebranding them building an identity system for them yeah. was our first big project wow and it it went on for a couple of years uh we had to do a lot of selling into the board. Yeah. The Girl Scouts has people that have literally been with the Girl Scouts for 30 yeah, or 30 more months. years, yeah. and they named themselves Green Bloods. Yeah. So we had to convince the Green Bloods that this was a good idea. <laughs> we had that. to convince the board that this was a good idea. And we we built out a system that really leveraged who they've always been. So we went back to the, the beginning Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was uh, 1910 when they were founded. Mm-hmm. And we found that there was a symbol that uh, called the trefoil that had been part of the Girl Scouts for that whole yeah. hundred years. It's a cookie. Exactly. <laughs> it is a cookie. <laughs> so we we used that as the nucleus of this broader um, identity. Yeah. And that was our first system. And so we started this company to do that type of work. We started this company to be able to get into uh, – Brands at a in a much deeper level. Mm. Uh, we we used our external agency experience as well as our internal in-house experience to really build a company that uh, could could see how to build a system that works on both on both levels from yeah. the in-house side as well as from the yeah. external side.
0: What is the difference between the in-house side and the external side? What, that's a thing that's happening right now in in this industry. Uh, people want to you know save money and and pull everything in-house. Yeah. I'm sure you feel it from uh, a lot of potential clients. What, what's what's happening there and what are, where do we go from here? <laughs> it's a that? great
1: question. Well, one of the benefits of having someone come in externally yeah. is they can be honest. They can see, uh, what is it, see the forest through the trees. Yeah. They can come in and assess something without getting entangled in the politics of an organization. Yeah. And so it's it's really powerful to have someone come in and assess your current state and kind of reflect back in a mirror like way. This is who you are. This is how people are responding to you when you're internal. It's really tough to to do that objectively. Right. Uh, So as a consultant, that's one of the great benefits internally. The the difference is you are working within that brand on everything day to day to day. You are building connections with people because you might be in the elevator with the uh, chief development officer you might right. be you know having lunch with the the head of technology yeah. and so you 're able to have conversations and really work out a lot of uh, the intricacies uh, with with within a brand yeah uh, and then you're also able to actually implement it. I always say that implementation is the hardest part, yes, so when you 're building a brand identity system implementation can be really, really difficult. A lot of times because then you actually have to make things. You have to spend real money to take down signage and put up new signage. You have to figure out What you're going to actually do for that advertising and where it's going to be placed or whatever it might be, Mm. and so then people really start paying attention, (laughs) and that's part of why suddenly it's going to cost money. Exactly. So then they're like, oh no, we can't do this. And like, no, that's what we talked about a month ago. Why are why are we changing? So having someone on both sides really helps implement the work in a in a much stronger more long-lasting way. Yeah. And uh and, and you're also working on both ends to build what we call brand ambassadors, right? Where you have people who people who you want to talk about the brand in a positive way, who want to kind of lead in their world with the kind of values and the the understanding of what this brand is and 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 it's about. And so we might talk about that and really uh kind of define who they are as a consultant uh but internally you can really build those connections even even further. You right. are uh sitting down with people that you're onboarding you yeah. are uh kind of really understanding how you talk about the yeah. brand and so we can we we really guide and we really uh train from train people. Uh, yeah. externally, but internally you have that one-to-one relationship so you have with different that, people.
0: Those the people skills. A lot of a lot of designers or a lot of people that are uh, uh, of the visual uh, art persuasion mm-hmm. <laughs> feel like, oh, it's not my job. I'm not a salesperson. Uh, how do you build that in yourself um, when you're like, I did it right, but they
1: didn't like it. So, you know, yeah. so many young people. Well, one of my biggest fears is doing incredible work for a very long time, and then it never sees the light of day. Yeah. And being able to talk about your work, being able to help others understand the thinking and the strategy behind whatever you're doing is, is invaluable. It's yeah. so, so important, because that helps others to gain the confidence in the work in the idea, you have to understand that a lot of people don't really understand the type of work that we do. They don't understand, you know, an idea that we bring to them or, you know, a logo that we're showing. And so what we have to do is we have to help them become more comfortable that it's the right thing. And then from there, they can tell other people. And uh, and so that's really all part of this selling in quotes process.
0: Yeah.
1: Because then that gives them confidence that they can spend tons of money on something and it's not going to come back to bite them. Right. Uh, it, it's going to give them confidence that they have uh, made good decisions and uh, and it's going to set set up the brand or the company in, in a really good light going forward. Yeah. Uh, or it'll help them stand out or whatever it may be. So there's an actual business um, uh, benefit from from that. Right. Uh, from being able to, to help people uh, understand the work that they're doing, understand yeah. why it's being done. So talking about it, having designers be able to talk about their work, having agencies be able to talk about an idea mm-hmm. is so important. I think agencies really, they know that. That's a lot of times why you have account managers and you have yes. different people in place because they are able to go in and and sell, sell, sell. Yeah. Um, we believe at at my company that the designer needs to be involved at every point of the process yeah. and so the designer needs to be able to talk about the work because they're the ones that are touching it and creating it and if they can talk about it then you're getting it straight from you know the 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 heart of of who's uh, making it and then they could also get feedback in a right. very direct way yeah. and it's hard hearing and reading feedback but it's, it's when still it's just very like helpful. I don't like it. Exactly. It's it's tough. <laughs> but then what we need to do is we need to figure out why they don't like it. Yeah. What is it that's not working for them? Yeah. So we have to actually hear and see and read between the lines. Because yeah. a lot of times if they say make the logo bigger or if they say I don't like this color, there's other reasons why or there's real reasons why they don't like it other than the fact that they just don't like it. Right. So what we need to do is we need to have that conversation with people so we can Get down to the core of what's driving that that yeah. comment.
0: So I want to. Uh, we're we're probably going to run over a little bit. Do you ha- do you have a hard stop? No, I'm okay. Gotta, okay. Uh, I just want to hear the story of how you read the. So the NBA logo was yes. the same for 48 years. Right? Yes. Uh, and you were the one who changed it. <laughs> uh, and I want to hear that story. Like where how did where does it start? Well, it's
1: it's it's a a story that. Uh, is is something goes back several years because we first started working with the National Basketball Association by working with the WNBA, mm. and the WNBA was presenting themselves. They had just finished their, they had just come off of their fifteenth anniversary, and they they were kind of now in this in this teenage these teenage years where mm. they needed to kind of grow up and really present themselves in a in a different light. Uh, so what we did is we worked with them to really redefine how they presented themselves to the world, um, putting the women uh, front and center, uh, really being proud of of who they are and, and their strength and their, their incredible legacy. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we rebranded them. We moved them from a logo that was kind of shield-like, that had a, a, a drawing of a woman that didn't feel so, so natural, to we moved them into being – uh, having a logo that synced up with the shape and size of the NBA logo. And then the big the big thing that we did is we changed them from red, white, and blue to orange. So that orange really reflected basketball. It helped sync back with their white and, and uh, orange basketball that they played with. Mm. And so they're now a white and orange brand. And that helped them stand out from the clutter and helped them in a lot of ways differentiate themselves from the men. And so that was something that we enjoyed doing and and from there we were able to work with not only the WNBA team but other people within the NBA. So the chief marketing officer at the NBA uh, saw the work that we were doing and she asked us to be a part of rethinking the development league. So the NBA's development league was called the NBA D-League. D-League. yeah, which and doesn't so sound great. Nobody wants to be a part of the yeah. D-League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody knew that, but they weren't sure quite you have what to they did. start your it. game
0: of EA Sports uh, NBA 2K in the D-League. Exa- I always yeah. do terribly.
1: <laughs> exactly. we yeah. so, get benched. So we, we worked with them really closely to now rethink how the D-League was presenting itself to the world. And it just so happened that Gatorade is a brand that they – the NBA had collaborated with and partnered with for many, many years. And with their Gatorade Research Institute and with uh, a lot of the work that they were doing with the NBA, they reflected a lot of the same qualities that the Development League had. So about um, uh, about innovation, about trying new things, the NBA's mm-hmm. the, the Development league is is where uh, referees, new refs, will co- t, um, referee for the first time. Where new coaches also go and they'll they'll cut their teeth there as well. It's not just players. Mm. And so what we ended up doing is uh, is is building the first um, uh, league partnered with a uh, with a national company. So it's now the NBA G League. Uh, we redrew their logo. Uh, so that it also syncs with that same recognizable shape of the NBA, because that shape of the logo for the NBA uh, really signifies the best basketball in the world. So now we have the WNBA that is somewhat in sync with the uh, NBA's identity, Mm -hmm. uh, but they can differentiate themselves with color, and also because there's a a strong woman driving to the hoop in the WNBA's logo. Mm -hmm. Now we redesign the NBA's G League, and because it's a connection between both the NBA and Gatorade, we noticed one thing that they both had in common was uh, the NBA was uh, red, white, and red, white, blue, and there was black in their color palette. Uh, Gatorade League or the Gatorade also had black in their color palette. So we made the uh, G League now with that new logo, but also uh, it's a black and white league. So mm-hmm. it's also a league that remains fairly neutral because Mm -hmm. it's the development league that sends people up to teams. And then after that work, they had the confidence in us to do a lot of that same thing for the NBA. Oh, wow. And uh, and that started with a massive audit. And we found that the NBA had over 300 individual logos across the world. And so what we did is we developed a system for them. So the logo was uh, something we looked at with the logo. We, we didn't change much with the logo because there have so much value already yeah. in that logo. But what we did do is we gave the NBA a unique typeface. So I go back to that painting with type. They have the ability to now use a unique typeface that's unique to the NBA, ownable to the NBA, a custom typeface. Uh, we worked with Commercial Type and Eric Van Blocklin to, uh, to develop this typeface. And we gave this all of the different logos these 300 logos that they had been using across the globe are now uh, redesigned with this typeface at the core yeah. so they there's a connection between one uh, thing to another okay. but you can also differentiate because you can go with light you can go with uh, an italic you can and then also the name and then some some would have separate icons so we we developed now this system of of logos that has a consistency, or cohesion from one to the other. Yeah. But once we did that, we were also able to then update the MBA's logo. Um, one of the main things we wanted to do is figure out how they could have more presence. Mm-hmm. So that MBA rounded rectangle shape is is still fairly small when it's next to other brands. Yeah. And so with this new typeface, we were able to customize that so it fit larger when it's within the logo, right? We were able to update the red and the the uh, blue color to make it a little bit richer, and that also helped prepare, prepare them for their um, partnership with Nike. And then when they have now a big word mark where it says NBA outside of the uh, outside of that logo, it uses also this this typeface, yeah. and this typeface is, is is tall and it's slender and it has some strength to it. Uh, so that typeface, the qualities of the typeface, very much reflect. The qualities of you know your best yeah. and the best best basketball in the world these NBA players yeah. and it it literally makes the logo larger when you have the type next okay. to it so there's more space yeah so it's a subtle change that we were able to make but it set up the nucleus the the kind of core of all of the other pieces that that the NBA uh, does so all of the different programs all of the different initiatives right. when you watch a game like when the playoffs comes you'll see. The use of that typeface on the court side signage and even on the court and the finals and so forth yeah uh, all of their initiatives globally so we've been working with the NBA to uh, um, they're in Spain now they're they're everywhere and they're in Spain but the the even crazier part is how do you interpret now this tall slender typeface in in Chinese wow. in Arabic and so we've been working with them to to implement a lot of the system globally now that's which has so been a great. blast
0: that's so great yeah. um how can we? Uh, how can people? Uh, I've I've just heard that we we've got to to wrap it up soon. But um, how how can people find you on the uh, where can where can people find you and and see your stuff?
1: Well, our our company is the original champions of design, and luckily our URL is originalchampionsofdesign.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. We are on Instagram. Where what's fun about Instagram is just it's so easy to post work or post what we're doing in the office. So we we show a lot of our work. Uh, especially the most recent work on Instagram, and that's just OCD Agency, okay. uh, as, as well as Twitter. Uh, so great name for yeah. an agency, <laughs> OCD. yes. Uh, especially a design agency. Yeah, uh, that that rigor and uh, that that kind of methodical nature is something we we truly believe in at the core.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Now you got to open OCD uh,
0: Richmond. Next. Yeah. Next
1: <laughs> maybe year. you never yeah. know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Thank really you for great. having me. This has been a blast.
0: So that was my conversation with Bobby C. Martin Jr. of Original Champions of Design. Really good guy. Um, he is a true gentleman and a great designer. I love their work over there. Uh, I think it's six or eight people doing everything that they do. Uh, kind of amazing. Uh, all the the plethora of work coming out of that place. Uh, looking forward to what they do next, and uh, really fun to talk to him. Thanks for listening.